You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You just had to do it, didn't you, Mark? You blew it in the first segment, five minutes in. Can't find a headset, and you're like, hey, you should play us for Joyner. Like, yeah, I, I had it. I, I had it queued up. Well, this is the most unoriginal thing to do in radio. Well, you know that, right? Coming from you, that says a lot. I mean, do you also do the Justin Timberlake, like, is it May yet or whatever? Would you like, like me to? I could. I mean. <laughs> I could play some Star Wars on May the 4th be with you. <laughs> Thank you. Play some uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire on. Oh, wait, I did that already. Yeah. <laughs> that was last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, good morning to you on a Friday. Radio <laughs> Manual 101, Mark Dykton. That's right. Jake Query, Mark Dykton, Kevin Bowen. How to be a complete Bowen. tool in radio by Mark Dykton. <laughs> we make up Kevin and Query here on 93.5107.5. The fan Colts Titans Sunday, Lucas Oil Stadium. And Kevin, you know, we say it every week in the NFL, this is a big one. But in fact, this is for not only the fact that it is clearly a divisional game but it is the two teams that were thought to be the front runners for the division jacksonville may have something to say about that but the colts have put themselves in a position within the division itself that there is no margin for error exactly um this is massive 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 you've already squandered two divisional chances um yes this division has taken a step back this season so you know honestly getting to nine wins would probably get it done but Typically, to win the AFC South, you've got to win four or five of your six divisional games. And right now, the Colts are going to get to that mark. They're going to have to run the table the rest of the season in the division. The good news is you do have three of these four at home. You'll go to Tennessee here in a few weeks, but you still have your three remaining divisional home games. But when you look at tiebreakers and all of that, Sunday, again, mathematically, it means more than last week. Last week probably meant more emotionally. This week, the math indicates that the divisional win means a whole lot more. And boy, is Jim Irsay fired up. I, he knows his emojis pretty well on Twitter. I will give him that. Did you see the first one yesterday afternoon? I'm going back and looking here. Let me ask you this. This was before he got on the blue alert. Blue alert, blue alert. I think there was four of those. But he had one yesterday afternoon that I think he had primal in there. Pissed oh, yeah, I off. saw that one. Yeah intense i think he does more caps lock than he does non-caps pissed off intense primal for three hours not 30 minutes it comes down colts fans how bad do you want it football angry 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 face football (laughs) muscle muscle thumbs up angry 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 face football and never give up then didn't he have one like a few minutes later uh, we well, need every Colts that, fan. That was the first one. The first one said, yeah, we need every Colts fan that is at Titans game on Sunday to understand that you, yes, you, can help beat the Titans on Sunday by being loud like never before. I mean, so loud that you can help us dictate the game. Loud like you've never been before. Football emoji. Muscle emoji. You've been challenged. <laughs> what you gonna do? Sounds like Hulk Hogan. And football emoji again. You know what everybody should do is have themselves a – a dessert lineup. They players should bring desserts or fans should bring desserts for the players, right? And then each dessert would have the name of a different player that it's designated for, right? Yeah. Well, you know what you do. You What's fire that? up Jack and Diane. That gets the crowd going every single time. <laughs> Nothing says pumped up on a Sunday like some cougar. Uh, the Titans are going for their ninth straight AFC South Nine road win. Times. I think when you think about where Jim Irsay's, you know, venom comes from in this matchup, 
You know, 2002, the AFC South was created. The Colts dominated the division for the first, really, 10 or 12 years. Um, I think he looks at Tennessee and the hiring of Mike Vrabel in 2018 versus the hiring of Frank Reich. I think that is an element of his frustration. And Jake, I'm sure he thinks about it a little bit financially. He has not gotten the benefit of having a home playoff game in seven years because his team has not won a division title in seven years. And I think that's part of it as well. Now think about that. In January, we talk about this topic all the time, particularly in the offseason. What event do you want to see Indianapolis host next? What's the marquee sporting event you want to see this town host? How about a home playoff game again? Yeah. I mean- Seven years. For Jim Irsay and the AFC South, that is a long, long time. So I think that's where so much of this comes from. It's that Tennessee... You know, he watched his previous regime, Pagano and Grigson, win 16 straight division games. And And now... Just to show, here's the thing. He's sitting here watching Tennessee, Houston, and Jacksonville all win division titles. All have gone um, either more playoff runs or deeper in the playoffs since his franchise lasted. You You ever sit in traffic and... You're sitting there and you're trying to figure out which. I know I got to get up there, and then one lane starts moving, so you jump over into that lane, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I just picked the wrong lane," and the other one is gets going, and yep. you're just stuck. Immediate regret. I think Jim Mersey knows when he looks at the AFC at the beginning of the year, in particular, being in the AFC South. Presumably, there was a huge advantage of making sure that you were allowing yourself to stay in the fast lane by bypassing that first round by winning your division and having a team like the Chargers or possibly the Dolphins or Bills have to go on the road because they didn't win their division. There was there there is no seemingly I'm going more again to beginning of year thought there was no Franch or, or no division whose franchises had a better path than the AFC South to vault themselves into a lane that is moving faster than probably they should be driving. But he knows that. So he knows, like, listen, we we have this huge opportunity here to separate ourselves from the Chargers, possibly the Dolphins or Bills or the Chiefs, whatever it might be, without even having to play them. By just winning our division and and letting a lot of BS take care of itself before they even get to us, where when we're at home waiting it right, that's a huge. If you were the owner of a franchise, that is a huge enticement, because you know what's right there at right there at, at the doorstep. You know, I think we talked about this last week a little bit. You know, exiting the Jacksonville game, we did not hear from Jim Mercey. I don't really think we heard from him at all on social media all week leading into the Kansas City game. And yet it's this week, following a win, that he decides to go to this degree of highlighting what he views as such a vital game. And and to be honest, I think he's right, but it's a glimpse into his mind. We talked about Zach Kiefer yesterday, of just how pissed off he's been in that the Titans have won four or five. They've won the last two divisional titles. They're built similar to the Colts, and they've had more success with the similar building process, I think all of that is the reason why you see the owner 
reacting like this. I do think if we are going to see one starting offensive line change, I think it could be Will Fries, Jake, in for Danny Penter at right guard. That, I think, would be kind of the... You're acknowledging a personnel change that needs to be made, and you're doing it and not necessarily jeopardizing like massive amounts of chemistry. Now, some could argue how much chemistry does this line have right now, but the other thought was Matt Pryor would move from left tackle to right guard. Well, then you've got to replace two positions there. With Will Fries for Pinter, you're getting a little bigger at guard. Pinter is a little bit on the shorter side. Um, Fries is a seventh-round pick two years ago. He's played like 20-some snaps in the NFL. But I think if we see anything on Sunday, that is the position that I'm watching. Interesting. Now, you're saying this just based on – I think everybody knows that Pinter is certainly a position that, that they're going to explore or, you know, that could be upgraded probably. No no disrespect to any Pinter. But uh, are you saying that based on practice rotations or just gut of like, you know what, it, it just feels time? Yeah, I would just say educated guess. Yeah. I kind of labeled as that. And if you look at Tennessee, where they do have some dynamic players still, they've lost a lot, but Jeffrey Simmons would definitely qualify as that. He's a defensive tackle. And Danico Autry, which Colts fans know full well, um, he can be a really, really good interior rusher. So I think when you look at that, you look at what happened with Pinter last week, if they are going to make a change, that's the one area that I could see um, it occurring for the offensive line. When I think of the cure, I immediately think of the high school goth years of Greg Rakestraw. <laughs> this is your fault, by the way. We're going generic Friday songs the rest of the show because of you. Really? Mm-hmm. You've is, done this. Is there a Katy Perry Friday song? I mean, you might get a little of that. You might get some Lover Boy. Uh, you might Lover get some, Boy's the best, man. You might get some uh, Greg Rebecca Black. Yeah, Greg Rakestraw. I've seen uh, pictures of Greg. He wore a lot of Doc Martens back in the day. Black eyeliner. I always heard he's a great tennis player. Aquanet. Isn't that right, Greg? Well, there was that one day in October of 1992. That was pretty much the end of the goth era for me right there. <laughs> That's about right. Uh, Greg Rakestraw joins us on the Payless Liquors guest line, of course, with ISC Sports Network. And you hear him each and every year during the preseason as the television voice for uh, the Colts. So we'll begin with the Colts, Greg. Uh, Jim Ursay is awfully fired up for this weekend. Do you think the Colts are? I certainly hope so. Um, you know, it was talked about. I was at a practice on Wednesday, and clearly Jim's passion for winning this game was was talked about. You know, asked by several members of the media towards the players. You know, is this the Colts' most important rivalry game? I guess. Um, you know, it, it's supposed to be the top two teams in the division. I'm not sure they are right now, given what we've seen from Jacksonville over the course of, of, of the first three weeks. And because of, of the transient nature and the short nature of careers, like I, I'm not sure I, I get this, you know, huge sense of hey, it's Tennessee week, let's get it's, it's the Titans, let's go. I think it's more along the lines of hey, we played much better last week, at least all defensive and special team sides of the ledger, and know there is you know room for improvement offensively. I think there's a sense of optimism more than anything else. More so than, hey, it's rivalry week because we're playing the Tennessee Titans. It's Greg Rakestraw, I believe. Uh, Carmel Ben Davis, is that right tonight, Rake? Yes, sir. Number five versus number seven. Carmel Ben Davis for him on ISC Sports Network. Um, let's stick with the Colts here for just a second. Uh, you expecting more October impact from Shaquille Leonard or Paris Campbell? 
uh, I would think Shaq Leonard. Uh, and that's not a dig at, at Paris Campbell. That's just hoping that Shaquille Leonard's on the field sometime sooner rather than later because I kind of thought we'd see it by now, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but, no, I mean, at, I think at his best, Paris Campbell is a number two or number three receiver. At his best, Shaquille Leonard is one of the second or third most impactful linebackers in the entire National Football League. So if all things are being equal, the answer to your question is is certainly the former. Uh, and if it's the latter, it, even if Paris plays well, to me that's a bad sign for the Colts' defense. Do you think um... – I guess, are you surprised by the lack of targets for Campbell so far? I think it's five catches and like a hundred. I mean, he's playing a ton. It's like 180 snaps. It's not like right. he's, he, he's playing limited snaps. Are you surprised by the lack of touches, especially, you know, in that week two game, we didn't have Campbell or when you didn't have Pittman or Pierce. Week two, you can say that. Yes. Week one and week three. No, because I, I think we're starting to see again, assuming everybody's healthy and everybody's playing Michael Pittman Jr. is going to get a lot of targets. Everybody else don't get a couple of three. I think Paris Campbell is of the everybody else group uh, at this point. And so, yeah, you can say in week number two, but clearly nothing went right for that football team in week number two. So the fact that he wasn't targeted or wasn't a featured part of a game plan, you know, shouldn't be a surprise. But if Michael Pittman Jr. is on the field, Paris Campbell's going to get a handful of balls thrown his way in the course of a given Sunday. Because there's one guy who's going to touch it a bunch is going to be number 11. Greg, we talked about this earlier. Greg Rakestra is our guest. Kevin and I were discussing this. Um, I want your thoughts on it. Did the NFL last night, with the Tua injury and just kind of the hesitation about him playing going into it, and then players past and present tweeting out their skepticism about the NFL's health concerns, did the NFL take a step backwards after what had been a couple of pretty good years of goodwill between themselves and fans? Um, I'm not sure if it's a step backwards in terms of goodwill of fans. Um, I, I, I do think that, though, you can question the process in terms of what your eyeballs told you, what you saw from Tua on Sunday, and him playing four days later. And I, and I tried to think of a similar scenario with the Colts, and it was nothing as visually graphic as to a stumbling uh, on Sunday. And then what we saw with his fingers locked in front of him. Well, Austin Collie was the first thing I thought of. Right. I, I was thinking of, of the quarterback position. Okay. And it's the one game that Andrew Luck missed in his 2016 season, um, where he's, you know, fighting that shoulder injury the entire time. He missed one game because there was a, he, he entered the concussion protocol basically on Monday after a Sunday game, and it happened to be the week the Colts were hosting the Steelers on Thanksgiving night. Uh, and so that was the Scott Tolzien experience in, in 2016, the one time that Andrew Luck didn't start. And it was, it was basically because there was no way for Andrew to properly clear the concussion protocol in four days because it was the week where you played on Sunday and played again on Thursday. So that's the part that I'm trying to figure out is how did Tua clear that you know concussion protocol? Because it wasn't like Andrew Luck left the game, you know, on that previous Sunday. He, I'm pretty sure he played the entire time. I'm sure Kevin's nodding his head or or, or checking right. back for that game, you know, as we speak. You're right. So, that, so that's what I'm trying to. That, that's what that's immediately what hit me is trying to think of it in my own experience of covering the team and knowing that was the one time Luck didn't play in a game six years ago 
was because of no way you clear the concussion protocol in four days. Rick, I don't know if Tua ever went into concussion protocol. Right. You know, he I, was up the, I, I have seen the reports this morning that the uh, the independent neurological consultant that has to be at every NFL game that's not team-affiliated cleared him. Um, apparently, he went through tests at halftime of that game uh, between the Dolphins and the Bills on Sunday, but clearly... There, there was something missed given the reaction we saw last night. But don't you remember, and listen, I'm not saying this is what took place, but I do recall Peyton Manning getting in some hot water for making flippant comments that he figured out how to basically doctor the protocol sure. test. Remember that? Like, yeah, you just like at the beginning set of the year. Set a low baseline, right? Right, set a low baseline, yeah. Guys, guys will, again, for, for as much more emphasis – as has been put on this subject over the course of the last five to 10 years, guys are wired to go play football and they will find a way to work the system. They think of their own self-preservation second. Thought, thought number one is, how do I get back out there and help the team? How do I get out there and play the sport that I love? How do I get back out there and play the sport that provides for my family? You know what? That's <laughs> the biggest one. I think it's, and call me a cynic, I think for a lot of them, it's, it's a lot less about how can I get out there and help my team, and it's a lot more about how can I get out there and secure my position right. on the roster. I don't think this is a, a situation of the team goading a player into playing. It's a situation, and it's so rare, where you almost have to – the team has to step in and not allow the player to play for that player's own good. Right. Um, because I, I don't – these are grown men. They're, they're, they're doing this of their own accord. Sometimes it's to their own detriment. Greg Rakestraw is with us here. Obviously, you're going to hear him on Sunday, the Colts postgame show host. Much better injury report, Rake, yesterday. Uh, still no Julian Blackman. Still no DeForest Buckner. It's a different injury for Buckner. It was a hip last week that he played through. It's an elbow this week. Uh, he's wearing some wild contraption on his elbow right now. Um, I said it to Jake in the opening segment, Rake. Considering the opponent, considering the level of play, and I guess this sounds like a knock on Buckner, but it's more of a compliment to the other guy. I'd rather have Grover Stewart this week than DeForest Buckner if, if you made me pick one of the two. That's how good Grover Stewart is playing, uh, where, again, you could argue about, you know, when Shaq Leonard gets on the field, who the most dispensable Colts defender is. Right now the answer is the guy wearing number 90. Um, the fact is he has gotten better now every year. He's been in the National Football League, um, you know. DeForest Buckner is a big part of it, too. Don't get me wrong. They're a lot better when those two guys are together. Um, but there's a reason why the Chiefs averaged 2.5 yards per carry last week. And I understand that this running the ball isn't the Chiefs' strong suit, but running the ball can be Patrick Mahomes' strong suit. He had four carries for 26 yards. Um, and so, yeah, you want to see Buckner out there, but if number 90's out there, you still got a shot come Sunday afternoon. Kind of on that point, Rake, I don't remember the last time the Colts and Titans have met, and I felt this confident in the Colts in the matchup versus Derrick Henry. Um, <laughs> I, I think Tennessee is really banged up on their O-line. I think Henry is getting hit behind the line of scrimmage way more than he's used to, and you expect the Colts' defensive line, the number one ranked run defense in the NFL right now, I expect them to live back there. That doesn't allow Henry to get downhill. It doesn't allow him to rev up 250 pounds. And I, I just, I fully expect the Colts to do a really nice job. It's not like they need to contribute, you know, safety help to an AJ Brown. They can commit whatever they need to in the box. And I fully think they'll, they'll, you know, handle Henry and keep him in check. 
you, you hit on a couple of, of, of key things there in the last 20 seconds. And one, Zaire Franklin talked about that. He goes, he's so big, it's a matter about not letting him get his momentum. Uh, and, and so hitting him early, trust me, that's in the mind of the guy that was the Colts' leading tackler last week with 12. Hit him early. Don't let him get him revved up because sheer momentum because of his size. If he gets past the line of scrimmage, he tends to go for more yards. Um, but secondarily, it, it, it's, it's back to what the Titans were three or four or five years ago. And that is you go, hey, they, they got a good tight end, or hey, they, they, they could run the ball. Who's their wide receivers? And they're back to that. Um, you know, they, they didn't want to invest in A.J. Brown, so they trade him away. Julio Jones is a one-year failed experiment. And the Titans wide receivers are whom right now? But I'm, I'm sure you know the answer. I don't. Couldn't tell you. Um, and, and so the fact that you can put every ounce of energy you got on stopping Derrick Henry, maybe having one guy back for a Ryan Tannehill bootleg, um, tells you that you can key all your energy on 22, which is, again, um, why I think this Colts defense can be successful come Sunday afternoon. Greg, I'm looking into a crystal ball, and it's starting to form for me, showing me the divisional winners this season in the National Football League. And all I can tell is that for whatever reason, the Colts are not the AFC South champion when I'm looking into my crystal ball. If that were true... Would you assume then that that means that the image of the Tennessee Titans or the Jacksonville Jaguars actually is the one that comes up when everything clears out? I will give you a better answer on this when I see them in person on Sunday. Because obviously I didn't see the Jaguars in person, but I saw them on television. Um, if it's not going to be the Colts, I'm kind of leaning towards it being the Jaguars right now. My, my hope is still that it's going to be the Colts winning the AFC South. But just from what I've seen the first three weeks, Jacksonville has more of my attention. It's right amazing, now. isn't it? I mean, honestly, like it yeah. just goes to show that. Um, and listen, I know that it's probably unpopular opinion or whatever else, but I, I have no idea what the issue was with Urban Meyer. But also, that just having young players on the defensive side of the football, and then putting your quarterback in position where he feels like he doesn't have to go out and score a gabillion points, and you get him confidence. It's amazing the difference a year can make. You give you give a young talented team a coach to win a Super Bowl. It's amazing how how, how things can change quickly, right? Rick, I was chatting with you earlier in the week. Myself and Brendan King will be on the call tonight on these airwaves with Brownsburg and Zionsville. Um, am I seeing the most complete team in six A tonight in Brownsburg? You're seeing the best team in six A, but again, I, I think this is a year where there are five or six teams that are not that far apart from each other in six A. So you are seeing one of them and the team that is clearly the head of the pack uh, in terms of Brownsburg. But, but the gap from them to the next best team is, is just not that big. You know, they played Cathedral in the week number two. They're going to play uh, Hamilton Southeastern, and both teams are currently undefeated in week number nine. Uh, Brownsburg could see Ben Davis, who they beat in week number one. And in a close game, but one that Brownsburg, frankly, controlled for a good chunk of it. But that was without Ben Davis' starting quarterback. They could see them in week one of the postseason because they are now in the same sectional. So is Brownsburg the best team? Yes. But again, this is not Ben Davis 2017 or Warren 2018 or Senator over the last couple of years where nobody was really that close to them. Um, they're the best team, but but the other, team, the other teams are kind of nipping at their heels. Is Mr. Football as wide open as it seems like 6A is this season? 
I, you know, I, you, as soon as you say that, I'm starting to think, I'm like, I'm not sure who I'd be voting for right now. I really, really haven't thought of it. Uh, and again, you know, Caden Curry, you know, was, was, was that guy to me a year ago. Um, there have been other dominant names. I'm sitting here off the top of my head trying to think of guys as I'm verbally tap dancing. And so the answer question what is, about yeah. the, um What about the Andrean kid going to Notre Dame? Yeah, Drake Drake is a great candidate just because of his recruiting standpoint and the fact that he's a two-sport kid uh, and it led his team to a state championship in 2A last year. Good chance he could do that again. He does that, it could easily be Drake Bowen. Uh, Shelbyville. No takes- relation, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people were wondering. It's not a nephew? Uh, cousin? No, I tried to pull the distant cousin card, but no, the family tree doesn't seem to indicate anything. Uh, Shelbyville at one and five's taking on New Pal. Shocking the world, right, Greg? Probably not. Um, but the good news is they should be able to go home early. Uh, so I would imagine that's 35 by okay. half time. Sorry, Jake. Uh, North Central looking for their first win, taking on Lawrence Central. Panthers shocking the world tonight, right? Probably not, um, but I, but I, I think that maybe they can avoid the running clock in that game. How about that? Okay, baby uh, steps. Short Ridge and Attics, a, a good matchup between two teams that actually probably pretty even matchup. Yes, I would think so. Yes, I would think that'd be a very competitive game and potentially a victory for Short Ridge. Rick, we'll end with this: IU a three and a half, I think, point underdog at Nebraska. Purdue is about twelve point underdog at Minnesota with Aiden O'Connell game time decision you feel more confident in Indiana or Purdue getting the cover potentially getting the win I would feel more confident in in Purdue covering just because a I, I do I think Minnesota is the best team in the Big Ten West I do do I think that's a high bar to set probably not um and, and and for Purdue's flaws, I mean, clearly they've been in every game, um, should be 4-0. and Even without Aiden O'Connell last week, they moved the football. I realize Florida Atlantic and Minnesota are uh, a little bit different levels of competition. But if I'm getting 12 points, I'd say, yeah. Um, in terms of Indiana and Nebraska, do I think Indiana can beat Nebraska? Yep. Do I think Nebraska is a mess? Yep. But it's still Indiana. And they give you reasons <laughs> to doubt yourself on a regular basis. Sort of the fact they had 38 points in the first half against UC last week. So um, maybe who is more likely to win? Indiana. Who do I have more confidence in? I still have more confidence in Jeff Brown. Do, do you realize, Kevin, that if you took the traditional Indiana helmet, you know how like in TV they put the two helmets next to each other? Yeah. If you took the traditional Indiana helmet and the Nebraska helmet and put them side by side, you actually have the postal abbreviation for Indiana. You realize that? Well, I thought Rake stole a line from Tom Crean there from for a second. It's still Indiana, isn't that what? Did Tom get that on his shirt? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a different connotation that I'm trying to slightly, <laughs> okay, slightly right. Maybe verbatim, yes, right. sir. So the shirt would work. It's just how you infer that phrase <laughs> right. would be the right. big thing there. Rake, uh-huh. enjoy Carmel and BD tonight, and I will see you in the press box on Sunday. Yeah. Now, are you going to Brownsburg or Zionsville? Where is that game at tonight? Uh, Zionsville. Okay, A, the elevator goes right to your broadcast location at Zionsville. Uh, And I believe, unless they have changed this, they still deliver Chick-fil-A sandwiches at halftime to you at Zionsville. You know, honestly, Good thing it ain't on Sunday. Rake, I was really thinking to myself, is there a walking taco in the concession stands at Zionsville? Because if there is, I have got to get in line at halftime and just let Brendan King handle halftime. 
Always the sign of a good color guy. More worried about the food <laughs> than the actual game itself. Right. Uh, right. Thank you for the insight on Brownsburg and Zville earlier in the week. The and uh, again, play by play guy that was also known for that. <laughs> we'll see you on Sunday. I'm going to let that one alone. See you guys. <laughs> So let's get right to it. Joining us on the Payless Sugars guest line, he is the radio voice of the Indianapolis Colts, Matt Taylor. And Matt, question right away for you. This sounds crazy, but when there is a big-time divisional game, we know the owner's fired up, right? We see the tweets. When you're in the building, you're around practice, you analyze the Colts. Is there a different approach, mindset, or energy for divisional games and that's not to say that they take the other games lightly, but I'm saying, can you see it within the approach for a divisional game versus a non-divisional game? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't think approach or intensity, maybe just different in, in terms of just guys, you know, answering questions and being open and honest about, you know, how much this game means, how important it is for, you know, the math of things and, you know, trying to win the division and understanding, you know, the parity inside the conference and the easiest way to make the playoffs is to win your division, knowing just how much talent there is in the conference and, you know, the tiebreakers and not wanting to mess around around with, um, you know, wild card standings in weeks 16, 17, and 18, so on and so forth. So I think every game is, you know, preparation's pretty much the same because you've got to, basically, you just got to bring it. Otherwise, you'll just get dominated in this league considering how good these players are on every sideline. But um, I think it's just, you know, honest and refreshing to hear guys talk about how important this game is from a standing standpoint, what it means from a ramifications perspective, um, and just also, too, from a motivational perspective, too, because, you know, Tennessee's gotten the best of this franchise the last handful of seasons. You know, they've won four of the last five. Uh, the Colts have and beating these guys since 2018 at Lucas Oil Stadium. They've been the class of the AFC South, so it is refreshing and honest to hear about just how much this game means from a psychological standpoint because of being able to kind of get over that hump which Tennessee has represented. Okay, he's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Maytay, I think given where the Colts are right now from a run defense standpoint, uh, how banged up Tennessee is on that offensive line, I mean, you look at the Derrick Henry numbers. His yards per carry is not good, and he is getting hit in the backfield a ton. I, I, I feel really confident about the Colts' run defense in this matchup. It, it, am I a little bit too confident, or what are you seeing when no. you look at these two? I'm with you. I feel confident as well because they're without their starting left tackle. That would be like if the Colts were without, you know, Anthony Costanzo, long-time staple at that, you know, corner position, um, you know, along that offensive line. You know, just Taylor Lewan has been there for a long time. Good player, reliable player, consistent. So not having him, that's a big deal. I mean, nothing against Dennis Daly, but he's just not on that level. And I know they're banged up along the offensive line, too, with their right guard. Nate Davis is on the injury report. Um, yeah, and Derrick Henry just hasn't had that, um, you know, momentum uh, that he runs with, you know, because he just hasn't been able to kind of get to the second level of defenses quickly because he's been stacked up at the line of scrimmage or, you know, he's fallen, uh, you know, for a, a one or two yard gain consistently because you said he's only averaging about three and a half yards per carry. And so far this season, that's been the bread and butter of the Colts defense is stopping the run. You know, James Robinson is the only guy so far. I know it's a small sample size because you've only played three games, but Robinson's really the only guy 
guy that's had an explosive day on him. Uh, you know, really that one big explosive run for 37 yards uh, in Jacksonville. You know, other than that, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had seven carries for no yards the other day. You know, for Kansas City. So uh, I'm more confident in Jonathan Taylor's ability to grind down the uh, Titans defense than I am Derrick Henry doing the Colts defense. Uh, I just think that if the Colts can win on first and second down in this game, you, know, you, you change the way they want to play. You change the identity of who they are. Um, you, know, you take away the strengths of their team because if, if they're up on the scoreboard or the game is you know tied or even in the fourth quarter, I think that's advantage Tennessee. So if you get these guys down on the scoreboard, they really kind of turn into a different team. And I know Buffalo is really, really, really good, and they've got one of the best offenses, and they can score, you know, from all angles, you know, really quickly. But they put the hurt on Tennessee early in that game, and they made them play from behind. And Tennessee just they they had no identity in that game because they couldn't run, um, and, and their offense is really kind of you know long and arduous, and they rely on these long scoring drives and. It's crazy. You look at their numbers, and they're not scoring a lot of points on the season to begin with. But in the second half, they only have seven points total in three second halves. So they've been outscored in the second halves of games by 50 points, which is the largest differential in the NFL. So I think if the Colts can get up early on these guys, take away their strengths, and you sort of take away their identity as a franchise with that physicality with Derrick Henry. Matt, did you ever watch the Muppets when you were a kid? I know that I'm kind of using a dated reference, but they're kind of dateless. Did you ever watch the the Muppets? I, I did, yeah. So so everybody talks about Kermit and Fozzie and Miss Piggy, but truly the Muppets that people love are like Animal and Beaker and the Swedish Chef. They're like the unsung heroes of the Muppets, right? They might don't, be as don't good forget as about Gonzo now. Gonzo, same, right? Uh, although he, he sleeps with chickens. That's weird, but that, fine. So... <laughs> Speaking of chickens, so is Grover Stewart, I'm not going to say he's Grover, but like when we think of the Colts defense, we talk so much about DeForest Buckner and obviously Shaquille Leonard. They're great players. Uh, Julian Blackman's a great player. But is Grover Stewart emerging himself now as like the most unheralded, underappreciated defensive player for the Colts? Yeah, I, I think around here that I, I think you know we appreciate Grover Stewart, but I think nationally, I mean that's that's a position that doesn't get a lot of attention because he's in the interior of the defensive line. He's not getting a ton of sacks. He's not. Man, getting a ton that's of an important position, loss. Matt. I mean, Booger McFarland was a key piece in the no Colts Super Bowl run because you got to clog up that middle, right? And he's always been consistent, and he's always been a good player. And think about his his path, right? He's a fourth-round pick out of Albany State. You know, when he's drafted in 2017, Kevin, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year where the NFL Network was doing this gimmicky thing where they're trying to go around all these different places in their respective cities, and they were trying to have – people uh you know hype up the draft and that was that was the year where is that the uh, orangutan or is that yeah, Hassan it was, Ridgeway? It was at the zoo it was at the zoo and you know mike mayock on the nfl network is just ripping it apart you know grover stewart you know life lifelong dream coming true and we're talking about the monkeys in the background and you're thinking well that's this guy's just going to be known for that you know his his biggest moment of his career is going to be the draft moment where he's 
you know, presented to the National Football League on television, you know, through the zoo. Uh, but I mean, he is obviously he's been so a grizzly bear in his NFL career. <laughs> Good transition, yeah. well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, if you just watch him in training camp this year, you're thinking, oh my gosh, he's always been good and consistent, but it just seems like this year he's taken his game to the next level in terms of strength and agility and quickness, and I'm telling you, if if this guy gets underneath your pads, he's just going to pick you up and throw you right back into the quarterback, and he's he's been, you know, obviously a catalyst in the run-stuffing ability for the Colts defense, Um, and I think he's more than a player that just to your point, Jake, eats up, you know, space and takes on double teams. He's he's a playmaker. This guy's really, really quick. And I said it a couple weeks ago at the start of the season, you, you have to think long and hard about taking this guy off the field on third down because, you know, at, at that uh, in, the, in those positions, you, you want to get you know your your quote unquote NASCAR package in and bring in some you know defensive ends and bring them inside and rush the quarterback that way with speed. But Grover is just as good, if not better, than some of the options that the Colts have right now on third and long. So he's a playmaker, not just a big body out there taking up space. Now, in terms of the guys that, that flank alongside of him, that sometimes maybe benefit from him pushing things to the outward. Um, DeForest Buckner, according to Kevin, looked like Barry Bonds at practice yesterday with the body armor. What is the status or the health situation of DeForest Buckner? Yeah, same same thing. I noticed the same thing, and um, you know we're gonna have to wait and see today what that status is. You know, last week he didn't practice a couple of days. Same thing this week, but you know I, I would sort of throw in DeForest Buckner in with that in that bucket of just a gamer. You know, doesn't have to practice a ton. You know what you have. He's an All Pro guy. You know, not not that practice isn't important, especially going into a game like this. But you know, you, you trust DeForest Buckner to go out there and play at a high level despite not uh, practicing for two or three days during the week so we'll see but um yeah it, it's one of those things where he, he's he's one of those guys you trust just to go out on sunday and make plays matt we talk a lot about math on this program matt taylor voice of the colts is with Uh-oh. us here on I the playlist I, I, I better hang up here then liquor's hot well i'm not gonna make you do any math although jake might give you a call later he's crunching numbers over there on economic economic impacts for the city of indianapolis that's uh, right if you're gonna rank the colts games one to seventeen and you're going to rank the importance of them in earning the AFC South crown, considering how this season has unfolded, what the division standings look like here as we reach the month of October. I think it's fair to say you probably put this game second on the list of most important, probably home to Jacksonville coming up in a few weeks will be more important um, considering you already lost to them. But is that where you would kind of slot it? If you were going to rank like, games importance to win the AFC South. I think that's really fair and I would I would agree with you now that Jacksonville becomes maybe equally as important. I think going into the season we all thought that this game was going to be the biggest home game of the year because right. it is is a home game. It's Tennessee. It's early in the season, and you don't play them, you know, later in the season, right? It's not like you get a, a chance to go down there in week fourteen, you know, in December, and and you know, reenact some revenge if if you don't get this game. Now, I mean, you play these guys, you know, twice in a twenty-one game or twenty-one day span here in the month of October, and they have a bye week leading into that. 
that second matchup. No doubt. No doubt. So going into the season, it, it was Tennessee, and some would argue that it's still Tennessee, but given that, you know, Jacksonville looks really improved and, you know, maybe a player in the division that we didn't think about at the start of the season, maybe that game is on equal footing or maybe a little bit more right now. But I still think when it's all said and done that Jacksonville is going to come back to earth a little bit with a second-year quarterback and a new head coach and still a lot of newness within that franchise and that these two teams are still the, the chief uh, you know, competitors for the division championship. And I just think, again, I go back to the fact that Tennessee just represents this this mental hurdle for the Colts. You know, they've become, um, you know, very, very formidable, um, and that's putting it lightly inside the AFC South. They're the two-time defending champs. They've won 11 of the last 13 AFC South games. So they have become the Colts of, you know, the, the late 2000s or the, the early 2010s with the consistency and the domination of the division. They've got the most AFC South wins since 2018 when Frank Reich and Mike Vrabel took over as respective head coaches for these two teams so um, the Colts know what time it is they know who's coming trying to win at Lucas Oil Stadium against these guys for the first time since 18 and and, and just trying to prove to you know the fan base and, and prove to the division that the Colts are here and they're much better than the product they put on the field the last three weeks even though the Colts did get a marquee win against Kansas City they didn't play their best football so there's no doubt in my mind that this game and Jacksonville at home in a couple weeks um, um, after a short week against Denver, two of the biggest home games the Colts will play all year. And we we said that at the beginning of the season, considering five of the first seven are against the AFC South, and there's just not a lot of mar- a margin for error in the back half of the season if you don't take care of business now in September and October. Matt, we are obviously entering the weekend that will complete the first quarter of the season. Hard to believe that. Um, sure, it's a long year, but you start to kind of now get a glimpse or an idea as to who everybody is to an extent heading into this completion of the first quarter give me one team that has surprised you because you thought wait a minute maybe they're better than I thought not named Jacksonville okay so Jacksonville's the obvious so outside the division a team within the league that has surprised you pleasantly and a team that has gotten off to a much slower start than you expected Oh, man, good question. I think I need to pull up the, the standings here. Um, everything kind of gets jumbled here. but Yeah, I agree. You know, I think the Raiders immediately come to my mind because they're the only winless team in the NFL so That was far. my Super Bowl pick, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you because I, I've been public about my bromance with Derek Carr. And, you know, I, I know they've got some – you know, some instability around him, but I, I think he's one of those guys you would classify good enough to sort of, you know, guide the team and overcome some of that. So their their start is, is disappointing for me because of the respect that I have for, for him as a player. I think the Chargers being one and two, that's disappointing. They're I so know, banged up. Yeah, I mean, obviously it starts at quarterback there. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is, is one and two, and, you know, I just really like their stability and culture as a franchise. How about Arizona? Like one and two. Yeah, yeah. You know, same same sort of thing. Uh, you know, Miami being three and one is a surprise. Um, and really, I think they had a good chance to win last night's game. You know, considering that, uh, or I should say, if if Tua doesn't go out in that game, Philadelphia three and zero. Oh, um, those are kind of the big ones for me. Um, you know, the, the Saints were projected to be pretty good in the NFC. They're one and two. Um, but, yeah, Arizona being one and two, that's a surprise. Really no surprise there in the West with Seattle being one and two. Um, but th- this is just interesting because I was talking to my wife about this last night. 
she was commenting on the the Cincinnati uniforms. She's like, why did they screw this up? They made the Super Bowl last year, and they're going to go with these weird white uniforms. She really didn't grasp the concept of the the third uniform or the alternate uniform. But, I mean, Cincinnati last year had an up-and-down season in the regular season, and then I'm not saying they came out of nowhere, but they sort of put it together, got on on fire in in November and December, and that catapulted their run to the playoffs. So, listen, we're three weeks in, and – we're still so far from knowing, you know, how this playoff picture is going to uh, unfold. I mean, the Colts last year were one and four to start the year, and they were the team that nobody wanted to play at the end of the season until the the end of the season came, and you know, we all know how that that ended. And so there's just a lot of unforeseen things, good and bad, that are going to happen between now and the end of the season. And uh, there's always going to be a dark horse that makes a run at this thing that we're counting out right now in the in the later parts of September and early October. Matt, I know when we look at Sunday's matchup, we don't talk a lot about the Colts' secondary. You know, Tennessee should not challenge them immensely through the air. But I just think Gus Bradley and Ron Miles, the defensive backs coach, deserve a lot of praise for the changes they made personnel-wise with their lineup. I know you and I talked about Isaiah Rogers and would he play a little bit more last Friday, but they started Rodney McLeod over Nick Cross, and then when Julian Blackman went down, they went to Rodney Thomas II, mm-hmm. a rookie who had yet to play a defensive snap in the NFL. That's pretty unheard of, you know, in week three of the season to make those drastic changes against that quarterback. And I get it. The challenge week to week should be different, and it is different. Tennessee is a vastly different team to prepare for than Kansas City. Um, But that was really well done by Gus Bradley and that bunch because, um, in particular, I think the secondary deserves a ton, a ton of compliments. Um, And I thought Eric Bieniemy actually did that yesterday in his press conference with, with Kansas City for making those changes and not being afraid of the moment against Mahomes. I'm with you. You know, Nick Cross goes from playing 100% of the snaps in week one, his first ever game in the NFL, to playing one total snap uh, in a week three against Kansas City. And a guy that didn't play at all in the first two games plays over 80% of the snaps in Rodney Thomas, like you talked about, the seventh-round pick out of Yale. And during training camp, he's not getting any run with the first-team offense or first-team defense. Heck, he's probably getting, you know, maybe seven or eight snaps a practice with the second team. I mean, he's... During camp, he was a lot of third-team work, a lot of third-team work. Right, so so credit to him too. I mean, you give credit for the the, Col- the Colts coaching staff for making those switches, but you also have get, have to give credit for the players to be ready to handle that sort of moment. I mean, Rodney Thomas comes in, and you know he's got the the best quarterback in the universe, and Patrick Mahomes on the opposite line of scrimmage, and he's not overwhelmed by it at all. And this is a guy that you know he he. he Dropped it. I shouldn't say dropped out of school, but he took a, a semester off of school uh, because of the Ivy League canceling the the uh, their season in 2020 because of the pandemic, and they were one of those conferences that wasn't going to grant an extra year of eligibility. So he wanted to continue to play and develop and get stronger and bigger and faster. So he, you know, skipped a, a semester or took a semester off so that he can come back and have his eligibility to play at Yale. I mean, and, and what a payoff that is. And, you know, he's obviously brilliantly smart. And, you know, Ron Miles, you know, challenges these guys in the secondary every single week. You know, there's that story of him, you know, handing out a, a test or a quiz on Friday, uh, you know, with all these different situations that can come up during 
during the course of a game. How do you play this? What do you do in this situation? And Rodney Thomas is always just nailing it from a mental standpoint. And so that's why they felt comfortable putting him in that situation. And you saw it a couple of plays in, you know, uh, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and uh, and 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 uh, Patrick Mahomes. They they went right after Rodney Thomas on that deep shot on that pass intended for Justin Watson, and he made a big ground, got his hand on it, deflected the pass. I know there was a holding penalty on it, but that was a huge play in that game. If they if they catch that, you know, they probably walk in for a touchdown, and the Colts probably don't win that game. So, you know, kudos to Rodney Thomas for being ready. Kudos for um, also, you know, you've got Rodney McLeod coming in and just being the total pro that he is and not getting – you know, been out of shape, that he was supplanted by a rookie who's never played uh, a game in the NFL starting over him in week number one, despite having 10 years of experience over him, uh, just coming in and, and handling the situation like a pro. And that's that's what the Colts have on this defense, a ton of guys that just get it, know their role, and know that it's going to be situational football week to week. And, you know, some some weeks they're going to be called upon more than others. But, yeah, credit to the, the secondary staff and those guys in the back end, specifically Rodney Thomas and Rodney McLeod for answering the bell. You know, the more I think about it, Matt, we kind of sold Gonzo short because <laughs> he's really, and I've never really thought of this before, but Gonzo, Kermit, Fozzie, and Miss Piggy is basically, respectively, Kramer, Jerry, George, and Elaine, right? I mean, they're they're clearly the top four, right? Yeah, I mean, Gonzo's got to be Kramer. Correct. Uh, Kermit no question. Is, Kermit is Jerry. No Obviously, doubt. Elaine is Miss Piggy. Right, and Fozzie is George. Like the neurotic yeah. guy. I mean, Fozzie's a little underappreciated. He's a bear that wears a, knows how to tie a tie, which is cool. I, I but. did think Gonzo was a bit slighted by you. I thought that was pre-Kenny Moore before the Pro Bowl selection. <laughs> yeah, Gonzo. So, yeah, Gonzo is – he is in the power four, right? Yeah, without question. And then you've got – and then underneath that then, so like – He'd be on the side of the you know, Muppets. All, I, I wonder if – we're on to something here. Swedish chef would be the soup Nazi, right? <laughs> Beaker would be Kenny Banya, right? I mean, like literally like this, it, it you could just go on and on and on, right? Matt, if it gets hey. ugly in the fourth quarter on Sunday, you've got some material here. I do. I do. There's the fourth quarter, the Tennessee Tartars, herd of her. See? Oh do you, do, are you ever actually, to use a Seinfeld line, do you ever thank yourself for the access to this neuroticism? Yeah, listen, I'm never bored. I can tell you that. I'm never <laughs> bored, and I'm never lonely because there's always somebody to talk to in my head, and I can tell you that. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, the one and only. Uh, the call at 1 o'clock Apparently, on voices Sunday. Of the Colts. <laughs> uh, our coverage will begin at 9 with JMV over the Bullseye Event Center. Network coverage begins at 10 o'clock as the Colts play their third divisional opponent of the season here at the Tennessee Titans. Mate, they have a great call. I uh, mentioned to you earlier in the week, and I'll say it in front of a little bigger audience. Um, some great, great calls out of you on Sunday. I heard a lot of compliments, so congrats on that, and uh, enjoy Sunday. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good weekend. Blame Jake Query. That's what I'm saying. What did I do? Oh, you, when September ends, it's so generic. Okay, I'll play generic Friday songs all show long. That's what we've done. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how, you know. Um, there are a couple of lines in, in this weekend that seem really obvious to me. Really? NFL related or? College. College? Yep. Well, let, let's hear them. You said Arkansas 17 and a half earlier? Arkansas getting 17 and a half. Is that game in Fayetteville? Yes. Uh-huh. I would take Arkansas all day long on that. But but Alabama, I will say, is one of those teams that kind of plays to their level of competition. 
So I could see Alabama. Alabama can be a little dangerous to touch, admittedly, because they usually have like two flat performances per year. You just never know. So I wouldn't necessarily – I mean, that seems like a huge number to me, but I would kind of stay away from Alabama just for that regard. Listen, North Carolina State and Clemson. I love Clemson, but they're giving 13 to North Carolina State, who's really good. And Carolina State has – this is like Carolina State's kind of benchmark game, and the weather's not going to be great. I would take North Carolina State till the cows come home. God, getting really 13, that getting 13, that is crazy. I'm seeing seven. I'm looking right here. Um, I mean, I guess it depends on where you're looking, right? I got Clemson minus seven. Okay, that, I, in that regard, I would stay clear of it. But what I'm looking at is Clemson at 13, and I'm telling you. Um, if it's me, seven, would you touch it? I probably would not touch that at seven. I would stay away from it. Uh, the other one, what what do you have for? I've got Clemson minus six and a half. Okay, then it's obviously. I don't know. I'm looking at. Let me look at. Uh, I should be looking at DraftKings, obviously, for the obvious reasons. Um, Michigan and Iowa. I, and Iowa doesn't have enough. They can't score enough points. Take Michigan, right? I don't care what the line is. Take Michigan. I, I see it at four. But either way, I would take Michigan. And then Washington is giving UCLA two and a half. I, I take Washington all day long. I think it's at UCLA, but you know, they get like 32 people at games. I'd like to think Purdue could cover, but I don't. The Aiden O'Connell injury, obviously, is not good. I, I just, part of me doesn't want to believe that Minnesota's this good. Hey, you talk about economic impact for the Big Ten football championships. You'd probably want Minnesota to represent the West, wouldn't you? I see Clemson at six and a half. I would stay away from that. Yeah, what's I'm taking? Minis- I'm taking Minnesota to cover economic impact for the city of Indianapolis. Minnesota coming here would be good, right? It would be huge. Yeah, they got to spend nights in hotels. They've never been here before. Correct. That would be big. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna. Oh, gosh, I'm gonna go with Purdue, but oh boy, I might regret that. Uh, IU, I don't feel good about. So, I'll, I'll listen. Interim head coach off a of bye week just seems like seems like they'll they'll put it all. Uh, I don't know if they'll put it all together, but they'll put it together enough. I was really disappointed in Indiana last week. They get off to such bad starts. Yeah, I mean, isn't that coaching? Sure. I mean, I hate to be a square, but isn't that coaching? Yeah. Uh, NFL-wise, what jumps out at you? I've got two. I am going with, well, I was trying to get this line before the news of Michael Thomas and Jameis Winston. The last line I saw was Vikings minus two and a half. It's jumped to three and a half now. If you could have gotten it two and a half, 1,000%. The other one I like is the Browns, one and a half in Atlanta. See, I like the Falcons there. I feel like there's something weird when they go to Atlanta. I feel like the Falcons might stun the Browns this weekend. Gosh. I know. Can you name four Falcons? Cordero Patterson, Marcus Mariota, Kyle Pitts. Uh, Well, Calvin Ridley's there, but he's not. <laughs> so well, I got three. He's oh, yeah. Uh, Young Kuhu, their kicker. You- there you go. I thought it was like Young Ho. Was Whatever. I it. named four. Hey, that counts. Where do the Bears play the Giants? In New York. Oh, no, not New York. In New Jersey. 
<laughs> Thank you for being exact. Boy, that was some nice clarity by Mark Dykton. How many is Philly giving to Jacksonville? Uh, Five and a half, six and a half, something like six that? Six and a half. Take Jacksonville. I'll take Jacksonville. I'll take Pittsburgh to cover over the Jets. And I'll take the Colts to cover over Tennessee. Mark, anything you like outside of Atlanta? Uh, Bears plus three. Boy, Justin Fields, you better step up if you can't beat the Giants yeah, right I, now. Yeah, I did think about that one. And then uh, Rams plus one and a half against the 49ers. Uh, I'll take that all day. So those are mine. That's a road game, right, for the Rams? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, let's look at Colts and Titans. Um, three and a half, and the over-under is like 40, what is it, 41, 42? Something around that. Again, Titans have won four of five in this matchup. Uh, I'll go first. I I just think the loss of A.J. Brown was absolutely massive, and as I've said all along with the show today, I feel so confident the Colts' run defense getting it done. I think Grover Stewart's going to live in the backfield. Tennessee's offensive line is banged up and not good, which is a bad combination. Henry's getting hit in the backfield more than he's ever been, and the Colts live in the backfield. Number one run defense in the NFL. Um, I think it's important to get a lead, and unless they have a bunch of self-inflicted mistakes, I really don't think this is going to be that competitive of a game late. I went a little high scoring earlier in the week. I've come down a bit off that. I will go 24-13 Colts. By the way, speaking of Brian Hoyer, my buddy Bart says, uh, Hoyer did start a game against a really bad Dolphins team. He was awful, and they lost. Yeah, I do remember. That was a bad Dolphins team, too. Uh, I will say for Sunday, Derrick Henry is the key, obviously, but it just seems like he's off to a slow start, and they just can't get him in open space, even though as a downhill runner, he is really, really good. Um, I do think that Tennessee will be able to get some points, but not enough. So I'll say 28-23, Colts win. I've got Colts 23-17. So that would put the Colts at... Might be our first clean sweep of the year. That put the Colts at 2-1-1. Two, two, one, and one, one. yep. Heading into Thursday night football with Denver. Uh, Should we all have them beating the Texans? I feel like Oh, that. yeah, that, that is probably true. A shameless plug tonight. Myself and Brandon King on the call of Brownsburg and Zinesville at cool. 7. You guys got any weekend plans? Uh, tomorrow from 12 until 2, I'll be at the Ball State game. Come out and say hi. Chirp, chirp. Um, chirp, chirp, yep. And Who then, they got? Uh, boy, you know what? If you hadn't asked, I'd been able to tell you. Northern Illinois, I believe. I, I was just going to guess one of the directional. Is that right, Scotty? Yep. I was going to guess one of the directional Michigan schools. You probably would have been safe there. Chippewas, Broncos, one of them. <laughs> Northern Illinois is kind of good. I They've think. been a good program, yes. Mark, anything? Heading to New Fields for Harvest Nights with the family tonight. Enjoy it. Crisp night for high school football. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend.